coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Most of us, whether we're dealing in sports, business, or even our family life, or dealing with friends and coworkers, if we would understand where the other person's coming from, we'd have a lot less arguments, we'd have a lot less headache. That was our guest for today, Jamie Beckler. You can hear more from Jamie very soon. But first, we have to say a big thanks to the overarching sponsor of the show, Hawora, the performance wellbeing growth partner that looks to impact on individual and organizational health and wellbeing through four key pillars, physical, mental, social, and occupational. So do make sure to check it out at haworalife.com, H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we're striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome to episode number 120. Today we spoke with Jamie Beckler, consultant for professional and college teams, author, speaker, and podcast host. Jamie is a leadership consultant for teams ranging from the NBA to the Big Ten. As an independent John Maxwell certified motivational speaker, leadership trainer, and executive coach, Jamie works with teams and businesses across the USA, helping them maximize their potential for success. He's published The Leadership Playbook, Become Your Team's Most Valuable Leader, and hosts the Success is a Choice podcast, interviewing thought leaders from various industries. He's worked with organizations like Lululemon, the Huffington Post, and the Illinois Fighting Illini. We unpack a story that has transitioned from college coaching and organized athletics to consultancy for high school, college, and professional teams. Jamie explains how the first four years of his head coach role in NCAA basketball at age 27 shaped his career. He discusses strengths, flaws, and self-inquiry, and how to control frustrations and improve your self-awareness. High performance for a coach is doing what you're capable of doing in your situation. We got smarter hanging out with you, Coach Jamie. We're forever grateful. Jamie Beckler, thanks a million for coming on. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Love your, love your show. And uh, every time I listen to your uh, an episode, I feel like I get smarter. David, you've got words in your titles and stuff that I don't even know how to pronounce. So <laughs> I, I, I feel like if I can hang out with smarter people, it might rub off on me. So I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Look, I, to be honest with you, I don't even know what half of those stand for either, Jamie. So I just put them there because it may, exactly it makes me look smart. Um, well, it, it worked. It, it worked. And then, <laughs> you know, here in, here in America, you know, if you speak with an accent like you guys have, if you uh, speak with that accent, then you're even smarter. You're like 10% smarter. So you put all those smart words together, those long words and your accent. And, and to me, you're, you're like big time smart. We're off to a winner, but look, yeah. we have to re- we have to return kudos to you. We're we're fans of success as a choice. We've listened to many episodes as well, and we'll be very much spreading the word across the pond. So, um, looking forward to unpacking all that, Jamie. But look, let's get into it. You're you're a man that has uh, has achieved an awful lot. I think that's a very um, very simple way to put it. But athletic director, college basketball coach, executive coach, John Maxwell, so many so many pieces to the puzzle. Where did all that kind of start for you? 
Well, my uh, my mom and dad they were uh, they were very involved in a lot of things uh, growing up, and so I saw you know how much of a difference that they could make, whether it was local politics, whether it was school board, whether it was just their jobs. And, and my dad had a, a multiple uh, multiple jobs, uh, different kinds of jobs, and and so they were very versatile. They taught me the 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 value of hard work early on, and so uh, I kind of you know it kind of rubbed off on me. And you know in sports, I was I was a guy that played all the sports. And uh, even when I went to college, I, I got to play college sports. Even in college, I was able to play multiple sports. And so I've always been somebody that wants to do multiple things. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's been fun. I've had, a, I've had a fun career and we've traveled around a lot in the United States with, with different, different uh, areas to live when I've been a, a college coach. And, and uh, I, I got out of organized athletics about four years ago to start my own business, to be an entrepreneur. And uh, I, I do leadership consulting and work with different sports teams mainly. Uh, I, you mentioned executive coach. I do work with some businesses, but that's not my, uh, that's not my main focus. I, I don't go out and actively seek businesses. I'm mainly with sports teams and from the high school to college to professional level. So it's been really fun. I heard an interview a long time ago based on the first four years of your career. You learned so many lessons when you were a coach. They sort of shaped the way you're going to do all of your development pieces. It informed you what you do now. Could you elaborate on why them four years were so influential in your life? Yeah, the, f- the first four years was, uh, I should say the first four years of being a head coach. Uh, I spent five years as an assistant coach. And then I was fortunate enough, I'm, I became a head coach at the age of 27. So I was one of the youngest NCAA head coaches in the country. And, uh, you know, I had done everything to put myself in a position to have those opportunities. Uh, I had worked my tail off. I knew the right people. I had studied. I, like, I just, I just engulfed myself in the process of that was, I was solely focused on being a head coach. And so when I become a head coach, I think that not that I've arrived, but I think that I'm, I deserve it. You know, I've earned it. I've deserved it. I'm smarter than everybody else. You know, I know what I'm doing. And the problem was, even though I cared about my players, I, my attitude, my arrogance came off as not caring about the players. And, you know, it doesn't matter how much, you know, if, if people aren't following you, if you can't inspire them, you know, I, I might be right all the time. But we're going to lose games and my, my kids aren't going to like me, even though I'm right, if we're not doing things right and, and if they don't feel inspired by me. And so there's, those first four years was kind of learning and kind of came to a head after that fourth year when uh, I got resigned. You know, uh, the AD called me into the office and the athletic director called me in the office and let me know that uh, uh, they were going to go ahead and let me uh, find work elsewhere. And so that kind of was a, a wake up call for me that the way I was doing things wasn't right. And I, I needed to, to be a little better. And from then on out, I tried to be a lot more coachable as a coach and I tried to, to grow and develop and improve uh, a, a lot more. And so I, I feel like we were able to do that every year after that as a coach. And, and certainly even my last game as a coach, I can still remember, you know, I did something stupid. You know, I, I, I didn't coach my best at a couple situations, even in my last game of coaching. So you're never fully, even though you, you, you improve and do better, you, you, you still make mistakes and, and it's always an ongoing process. And so what I do with coaches or try to do with coaches, try to do with players is impart some of those lessons and, and, you know, life is too short to make all the mistakes on your own. So if, if I can try to help out other coaches and other people see some mistakes that, or some landmines or some traps that they could fall into and maybe ways around that, that's what I try to do. 
Love that. Look, I'm just reading a book at the moment called uh, The Dynasty by um, the, about the Patriots. And it's, there's an interesting bit at the start about when Belichick got, got into that role and, you know, from assistant coach to head coach. The question is, in sport, when do you see the time when an assistant coach, a younger coach, a coach with less experience, perhaps a coach that just hasn't had the right timing or opportunity, when is that coach ready to make the step to be a head coach? Or even for those coaches that haven't had much significant coaching experience, somebody like a, like a Steve Nash in the NBA, what's that like? When do you know if that person is, is ready to make the step? Yeah, great question. And I'm not sure that you're ever actually ready to be a head coach. The same way I wasn't, I, I don't, you know, I thought I was ready to be a head coach, but I really wasn't. I didn't know what I didn't know. And the same way, like when you get married, I don't think you're truly ready to be married, but I think you can be more prepared than other people. You can be more prepared in your stage of life. And so, um, you know, I don't think an assistant's ever going to be truly ready, but they can be more prepared. And, and one of the biggest mistakes that I see young coaches or, or even an older assistant coach make is they don't think like a head coach. They think like an assistant. They don't prepare to be a head coach. They just try to be an assistant. Um, and then they hope to be a head coach one day. You've, you've got to train and prepare to be a head coach. And one of the best ways to do that is to think like a head coach. You need to be you know, at your head coach's beck and call. You need to be their sidekick. You need to be somebody that's always asking questions, not to prove that you're smarter. Because every assistant coach thinks that, they, well, I would do something different. I, I know, I know better than the head coach. And it's like, yeah, but your, your knowledge is so limited. You're only seeing your tree. You're not seeing the whole forest. And so what you want to do is, is you want to ask your head coach, you know, why did you suspend this kid? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? And not asking the question because you have a better answer, but you, out of genuine curiosity, because one day you're going to be in that position and you, you want to be as prepared as possible when you get into that you know, that head coaching chair or that head coaching office. And, and I think a lot of assistant coaches, they don't go about their daily life like they're a head coach, you know, when they interact with players. Now, obviously, your assistant coach and your head coach are going to have different interactions, different relationships with players. Players are going to trust an assistant coach sometimes a little bit more and tell you a little bit more. But that doesn't mean that you act like a fool or you act like a player yourself. You know, now you also don't have to be, you know, a stodgy, you know, person that a grumpy person or, or, or you know, I'm going to act so mature and, you know, the players won't trust me. They won't want to come to me because they'll see me as the head coach. You don't have to be either extreme, but you do have to think about, all right, I need to act like a head coach. I need to prepare like a head coach. And so get involved with as many things as possible. Um, you know, if, if that, if your role is this, this, and this on your team, if that's your job responsibilities, try to find ways to do other things or dabble in other things as well so that you're more prepared uh, in every area for when you're a head coach. You know, uh, maybe you never have to work on preparing a practice. Well, ask coach if you can prepare a practice one day, or maybe you're never dealing, you're only dealing in recruiting, um, but you're not really teaching a position. You're not really coaching up a set of guys or gals. Ask your coach if you can be a position coach, if you can take more ownership and practice for for some certain areas. You know, figure out what your gaps are. Figure out what you still haven't perfected or, or you know, uh, you haven't strengthened for when you're a head coach and try to strengthen those while you're as an assistant coach. That's brilliant, especially the clearly defined roles and then looking outside your comfort zone. Some really good points. I want to jump into 
the fact that you were a, made a transition yourself and you changed from being, as you say, in the locker room to the boardroom. So after 20 years of basketball, you went into the corporate world. What inspired that change and what brought you to make that jump? I, I love being a coach. I love being an athletic director, but I always had a passion for leadership. I always had a passion for trying to help as many people as possible and, and having a bigger scope, you know, casting kind of a wider net. And uh, that doesn't mean that's right for everybody, but that's what I wanted. And, and so uh, I had an opportunity to uh, join the John Maxwell team or be a certified John Maxwell leadership coach. And so I took advantage of that. And then that kind of springboarded me into some other opportunities to speak with teams, to to do workshops, to to consult with with sports teams and even businesses. And so that was something that I was like, you know what, I, I think I could do this full time. You know, there is something to be said for selfishly, it, it, it can be a little bit of fun to be your own boss, you know, and to, to wake up when you want to wake up and, and you're responsible for your actions, essentially. You know, if, if, if you want to go play golf on a day or you want to wake up late, you can do that, but there's going to be consequences to that. You get the freedom, you have the flexibility. So being an entrepreneur, you know, there was, there was a lot of traction to that, uh, attraction to that. And so I was like, you know, if I can, if I can kind of feed this passion and help other people while also having freedom and flexibility where I don't have to be in an office all day long, man, this, this sounds cool. And, and it does sound cool and it, it is fun. Um, but, but in a way it's a, it's a lot more pressure and a lot more responsibility when you're on your own, because every single thing, every decision you make, uh, has consequences. You know, if, if I do decide to go play golf or I do decide to take a day off, you know, no one else is making money for our family that day. Um, you know, no one else is getting the job done. It's, it's me. And so, but, uh, it, it's been a, it's been a great journey for these last four years. And I kind of looked at those first two years as being a graduate assistant again, back at the college level where you're kind of, you're kind of learning all this stuff on the fly. You're like an intern and uh, cause you don't know what you don't know. And so it, it's been fun, but I've got to work with, with lots of great coaches, lots of great athletes, um, gotten lots of great feedback. It, it's great to see when, when people have success, it's great to see when, when, you know, maybe a student athlete you worked with two years ago now is a, a college assistant coach or a high school assistant coach. And they're like, hey, I used your book or, hey, I used that one thing that you told us when you came to speak to our team. So those things are fun. And look, Jamie, when we look up your background, it's, uh, it's definitely diverse. The cross-pollination is something that I think we really admire. I mean, you've, you've had experience working with Lululemon, uh, the Fighting Illini, NBA, Huffington Post, all successful in their own endeavors, but also socially diverse. What do you bring to the table when you're going into these organizations, these teams, the leadership playbook? I mean, tracing the coaching journey all the way back from when you read about John Wooden. What do you try to unpack? What are the big themes that you bring to the table when you're speaking to these guys? One of the things that, that I think that I can bring to the table, and, and, and certainly this isn't unique to me, but, but I do think not everybody that's a consultant or a leadership person or works with other teams or businesses necessarily brings this. You, you mentioned the diversity or I've had a lot of experience in a lot of things, which is true. And, and that gives me a great perspective. Uh, but the other thing is I've been pretty successful in some endeavors and I've also failed and fallen flat on my face in some endeavors. Um, and that even goes back to when I was an athlete, you know, uh, I, I was a good athlete. I got to go play in college. I was a star athlete at different times in different sports. There were also times where like my best friend was the water cooler 
in the athletic trainer at the end of the bench. You know, there were times where I, I didn't play very much. There were times where, yeah, I was just like everybody else and thought, oh, the coach is, the coach is you know, uh, not being fair to me or the coach is playing favorites. Well, you know, uh, that was my fault. You know, I wasn't doing what I needed to do, but I've been there. You know, I, even as a coach, I coached uh, in great programs where we where we had a lot of money. I've also coached where I would drive a van you know, with kids in the back, you know, in the back after losses where they're eating, you know, ham sandwiches, uh, you know, we're not even getting fast food and, and I'm having to listen to their conversations in a, in a small van, you know, uh, where, you know, you're having to do your own laundry. I, I've been fired. I've been coach of the year. So I've had all these, all these experiences. Yes. But also I've had different levels at these experiences. I've, I've experienced different successes or failures. And so I believe that that helps me then to be able to any situation I go into to kind of look at what's really going on, what's the situation and to, to listen and to understand, uh, you know, Stephen Covey in his book, seven habits of highly effective people, you know, one of his seven habits is awesome. It, it's, it's seek first to understand then to be understood. And, and I think most of us, whether we're dealing in sports business or even our family life or dealing with friends and coworkers, if we would understand where the other person's coming from, we'd have a lot less arguments. We'd have a lot less headache. Um, but we're always trying to cram down our thoughts and, and get people to understand where we're coming from instead of first understanding where they're coming from and seeing things from their perspective. And so when I work with, you know, whether it's a, a, a big business or it's a, a little high school basketball team, you know, it, it doesn't matter. There's still people who have hopes, dreams, fears, they have pride, they have ego. Um, you know, they want praise, they want acknowledgement. People are people, you know, even when I work with, and you know this, having worked with a, a lot of professional athletes and, and professional basketball players, some of them are the same as, you know, a 16 year old, they're just richer and maybe have a little bit more life experience, but, but people are people. And at the end of the day, if you're going to help people, you got to understand where they're coming from and see things uh, from their perspective, uh, because you're, you're never going to get anywhere otherwise. Look, something you touched on there, being fired, n- never a pleasant experience. Um, we've been there. I've been there. kiran has been there. Have you? I'm not sure. Have you? Yeah, yes, <laughs> we've all been there. Um, and uh, look, for people that are, have been going through quite a turbulent period, let's say it like that, through the pandemic, who have taken knocks, adversity has, has been there, challenges have been there. What advice or suggestions would you give to those people based on your experience that can help them get through those Periods of a little bit of darkness when there's a bit more questioning going on, when there's a bit more of a challenge than they would have expected. Yeah, it's it's really tough. You know, whether you're being fired or you didn't get that promotion, or just you know maybe you you got furlonged or or maybe your your salary got cut. Maybe you know there's all different kinds of challenges and obstacles and 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 setbacks that we have, uh, whether it's our professional life or personal life. And, and I hate to be, you know, captain cliche, or I hate to just throw out platitudes, but we have got to, whether it's sports or, or life in general, we have got to try to be as self-aware as possible. We've got to, and and we've got to focus as much as possible on, on the journey and the process. And I know that that sounds like, oh yeah, whatever the process, trust the process, the journey, you know, give us something real. And it's like, okay we can't really give you real things, you know, real tips until your attitude is right, until your perspective is right, your mindset is right on stuff. 
okay, when I lost my job or when other people lose their job, it really can stink. You know, you might have to move out of your house. You might have to downsize quite a bit. You know, there might be a period of six months to a year where you're uncertain about what your future holds necessarily. Um, but, but you have to stay focused on, okay, what can I do? What are the choices I can make today to make the best of today that actually can set me up for an opportunity to have success tomorrow? And then, you know what, if that opportunity doesn't come tomorrow, that's fine. I was prepared for it. I'm going to then repeat. Um, you guys talk about, you know, sleep, eat, perform, repeat. You know, we want to make sure that we're doing everything that we can each day to put us in a position to take advantage of the opportunity when it does come. And, and a lot of people will be like, yeah, well, I did that. And then it didn't come. And it's like, okay, well, did you do it the next day? Yeah. Well, how long did you do it? You know? And they're like, well, I, uh, you know, I did it long enough. And it's like, okay, well, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it until you die. Essentially. You know, it, it's like the kid that says, well, I'm working hard, but coach isn't coach isn't playing me anymore. Or coach isn't coach isn't seeing it. It's like how long how long have you started working hard or coming early to practice? And they're like, well, I've done this all week. And it's like, okay, we'll keep doing it because you've gotten like three years of showing the coach that you're not working hard. So it may take more than a week. And, and so I know that that's like sounds flowery or it sounds like a bunch of fluff, but every single day you have to choose that, you know what, I'm going to make the best of today. I'm going to win today. And I'm going to set myself up for an opportunity uh, to be prepared to take advantage of my opportunity tomorrow. And if it doesn't come, well, I'm going to keep doing it. You know, just like you guys, like I said, sleep, eat, you know, perform, repeat, you know, make choices every day that put you in the best position and then repeat those. That's excellent. A lot of the time we, we speak about consistency and compound interest of making them daily actions to have that big effect over time. Uh, one thing you mentioned about self-awareness, it's also something we like to talk about. And we're trying to understand it better as much as we're trying to understand ourselves. If you were asked by a player or an athlete or someone in business about how can I do a self-assessment of where I'm at or how do I understand my values better of what I'm trying to get out of my life? Is there any place you'd point them to any strategies or practices that you'd say, look here first or do this first? Yeah, great question. And, and it's tough because my wife and I were just talking about this this week, actually. And for me, it's almost a habit. You know, I've done this for so, so long. I can honestly evaluate myself. Now I might not want to, uh, I might not like how I evaluate myself, but I know almost all my flaws and I have a lot of them. You know, it's a long list. I know my flaws. Now the question is, am I going to do anything about them? A lot of people don't even know their flaws because they refuse to look in a mirror. They don't even know that, you know, whatever that reflection staring back at them, they have no idea because they're not even going to look at the mirror, let alone fix anything. And so I want to constantly be looking at the mirror, so to speak, of my life and how I can get better uh, now or, or recognize what what my flaws are, recognize where I need to do better. And then I've got to make a choice whether or not I am going to fix those things. Uh, but oftentimes, let's say, all right, let's say, uh, you know, I want to be better. I want to self-evaluate. I want to be better. But it's tough because we aren't always honest with ourselves. One thing I would suggest is just writing down what your frustrations are. Like just in general, what what are some frustrations you have in life or frustrations you have in business uh, and, and whatever it is. And then start there because we might not say, all right, my weakness is that I'm impatient with others. We might not say we're impatient. 
we might not want to evaluate ourselves honestly that way. But when we look at this list, there's four things where all right, I get mad at my boss when this or I don't like that I didn't get this uh, uh, this promotion as quickly as I wanted. So you start to look at some things and instead of saying I'm impatient, you're saying, okay, I wrote these things down that frustrate me. Now, what can I do about these? What can I do about these? Not what can my boss do about them? How can the situation be changed? What can I do about them? So you're almost like tricking yourself into addressing your flaws. Um, So you write down just what frustrates you and then go about addressing them from the only thing you can control is you in this situation. So if I'm upset or I'm frustrated about traffic, let's say, you know, I, I, I hate getting red lights or I hate getting stuck in traffic. That really frustrates me. Okay, what can be done about that? Well, the traffic lights could be better or the other drivers could be better. Nope, nope, nope. We're not, we're not looking at any external factors right now. What internally could be done about this frustration? Well, there, there's nothing. Okay, well, maybe you could leave five minutes early. If you left five minutes early or 10 minutes early, would that help? Well, I still might get stuck at red lights. Yep, you still might, but you might get to work now five minutes earlier than normal. And so now there's a frust- less of a frustration of your being late for work. So that's just a silly example. But what can you do about your frustrations? What can you control about those? And you might not be able to change everything, but you can change something. Um, but I, I, And then the, the second part of that, the second thing that I think people can do if they want to honestly evaluate or be a little bit more self-aware is just kind of flip the script a little bit and say, all right, I've got uh, these four things that I'm struggling with. How would I advise my friend? So, you know, what? because we always have great advice for our friends. We just don't have great advice for us sometimes. So look at it in terms of, all right, what I just wrote down on paper, my flaws, now I'm going to address those like I'm talking to my friend. I'm going to tell them exactly what they need to do better. We're all writing that down. You're all there right away. Jamie, look, I want to ask you a question. You've coached an awful lot of people, and it sounds like you've been coaching yourself for quite some time. I'm going to ask you about through COVID, has there been a, an unexpected or perhaps even a surprised leadership point that has kind of caught your eye? And that could be from yourself or from others that kind of stuck out and you went, ah, oh, that kind of caught me by surprise. I'm not sure if there's something that caught me by surprise necessarily, but there's something that I never really, I've even said it before, but I've never really, like I've said it, I've believed it, but I've never really emphasized it or it wasn't truly real all the time. And that's the best leaders show up when there's crisis, when there's challenges. And you know, you kind of say that and you believe it, but during COVID, we have seen, whether it's sports or business, we have seen everything kind of magnified. Uh, so if you're a good leader during COVID, you're an even better leader. If you're a bad leader, you're an even worse leader. If you're just an average leader, then you're a bad leader during COVID because, because it's really, you know, the rubber meets the road. It's, it's, you've been put to the fire. And so, like, for instance, I've seen a lot of businesses, you know, whether it's smaller businesses or, or big businesses who you really see if they care about their employees during this time. You see all these, uh, I shouldn't paint with a broad brush or say everybody's doing this, but you see an awful lot of CEO levels, people who are making millions and millions of dollars laying off people that are making $50,000 or $40,000 a year saying, well, we just don't have the money. 
yet they haven't taken a pay cut or they didn't do other things. They just let people go. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I hate to say or tell people what to do with their money or how to run their business. But if you're talking about people are your culture, and I've seen this with some CEOs or even coaches, they will talk about culture. They'll talk about their people. But then when the rubber meets the road, when COVID hit, they were doing, they were just saving their own rear end. They were just making decisions based on a spreadsheet or the bottom line. They weren't thinking about people. And that stuff didn't come out necessarily when things are going well. But now when things went bad, you really see what a person's true colors are. And so I think the best, I think leader, I think crisis challenges really uh, demonstrate what kind of leader you are. And uh, yeah, I, I think so, I've seen some of these businesses where a CEO, you know, is the one that takes the pay cut. The CEO is the one that are is giving stock options to people or, hey, you know what, we're we're instead of letting 50 people go, you know, we're not going to let anybody go, but we're going to do this, this and this. Are you on board with this? Would you be OK with this? Um, and they go to all their other employees or or from a coaching standpoint, from from a sports standpoint, you know, uh, we've seen I've seen a lot of coaches you know, I, I don't know what to do during this situation. You know, this situation is terrible. We're not playing or they keep changing the rules on us and stuff like that. And their attitude actually goes in and affects their team as well. And so their team, instead of focused on coming together, their team, instead of being focused on what can we do, uh, being focused on, you know what, we have a month here. We have two months where we can actually get better as people, where we can catch up on stuff or, or we can do something different you know, they're focused on the negative day in and day out and focused about what they can't do instead of what they can do. And so I've seen a lot of leaders really struggle during this time because they're, they're, they're just not stepping up to the plate and, and seeing the things that they can do. They're just, they're just, they're just crazy, you know, mad or frustrated about, well, the season doesn't look like it normally would, or, or I had these plans and now the plans are shot to heck. You know, we, we can't do what we planned on doing. That's brilliant. It really polarizes people as well with the, the magnification glass that's on people at the moment. That's excellent. You put up a quote recently on Twitter about uh, Jim Rowan. You are the average of the five people you spend most time with. And I saw a documentary recently on Rich Paul and that group of people with LeBron James and Maverick Carter and how they're all striving to do brilliant things in different spaces and they're trying to encourage each other and they all have well-defined roles within their company. We have all this time to reflect and be self-aware and some people are looking to their friendships and their connections and their relationships with people. Have you, could you give any advice on how you could assess that or how you could understand that, okay, I need to position myself with these type of people because these will help me grow, will help me be happier in life? Yeah, I'm huge into, you need to surround yourself with positive people. You need to surround yourself with people that make you better or inspire you to be better. Um, you know, and, and you could even surround yourself with people that, that are, you know, at your same level, that you're all going through the journey together, as long as you're, you're helping one another to progress and be better. Uh, you know, sometimes people will talk about accountability partners. Accountability partners doesn't mean that it's not a, necessarily a mentor mentee relationship. You're going through stuff together. You're, you're struggling together. You're celebrating successes together. You're overcoming challenges together. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I love that Roan quote uh, about the five people. It's simplistic. And you could say, you know, you're the, the person you spend the most time with is the most influential or, you know, whatever. But, you know, I think the premise holds true is that we all need people in our life 
and, and we probably need people in our life that have maybe are more of a mentor that maybe is more of a coach that's maybe been where we've been and been able to overcome it, come out on the other side and can kind of help guide us through this, this maze of life or this journey that we're on. We also need those people that are kind of, you know, at the same level as us and, and we're bouncing ideas and we're, we're experiencing stuff together and we're learning together. And, and you know what, I would also say that we probably need a few people in our life that aren't quite where we're at yet. You know, uh, because I do think, let's say you're, let's say you're a 40 year old or a 45 year old, you know, successful person, you have a good family, you're good in business or whatever your professional career is, you know, it's probably not a bad idea to, to be friends with or have an association with a college age person or someone in their twenties. That's where you were at 20 years ago to remind you of where you come from, but also helps you stay sharp as well, helps you remember, all right, these are the things I did. This is the work I had to put in, the sacrifices I had to make along the way. And so I don't want to ruin what I have now uh, by by taking steps backwards. So it's kind of a reminder, but then you can also help somebody along the way as well. And so, you know, uh, Jackie Robinson, the, the, the great baseball player, Um, who broke the color barrier in major league baseball, you know, he had a great quote that said a life isn't significant except for the impact that it has on others. And so, you know, sometimes when we talk about the people we surround ourselves with, we almost think about, well, I I need to surround myself. You know, I joked to start with that, that I wanted to hang out with you guys today because it'll make me feel smarter. Well, sometimes we think about that in terms of well, I want to surround myself with people that are really smart or make me better. But we don't think about it on the other aspect of, you know what, we also can help make other people better. And that actually can make us better along the way. The more that we're helping others, the more of a signif- uh, an impact we're having on people's lives, then that can also help make us better and then make the world around us better. So it's not just what can I get from somebody, but what can I give to somebody as well? Yeah, it's about kind of the nearly challenging one another because we would have been thinking an awful lot and preparing an awful lot with this conversation and and just having this conversation has probably elevated us because we've had to elevate our game to speak to you, Coach. Um, look, for, for, for someone who's just embarking on a new leadership role in a sporting organization, in a business space, so they've just got a new leadership role, delighted, but lots of challenge, lots of opportunity facing that, that individual You've got so many resources, so many books, so many ebooks, so many wonderful pieces even on your website. Where would you point that person to maybe get some insight, some wisdom to help them on that new journey of theirs? That's a great question. And, you know, everything that I've put out is, is kind of like my baby. It's one of my children. You know, I, I like so many of the things that I've put out. In turn, and, and, and some of it's diverse. Some of it uh, speaks to different areas. The one thing that I, I put a lot of time and effort into is is Twitter, which which I know some people love Twitter, some people don't like Twitter. I I like using Twitter to put out ideas and thoughts that try to make things better. So if you're an athlete following me on Twitter, hopefully you get some stuff about how you can be a better teammate, be a better leader, and that you know what? It doesn't matter if your coach is a jerk. It doesn't matter if you don't like your coach you can still do certain things to make your situation better. Um, you know, if you're a coach following me, hopefully you're seeing stuff of, you know, 
I need to be a better coach. I need to put people first instead of the X's and O's and that eventually it's going to work out, you know, uh, and it doesn't matter if you're a high school coach or a pro coach, you know, some of the greatest teams that we've seen in the NBA over the years have had coaches that, yeah, I mean, they're all good X's and O's people, but they're people, people, you know, Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich with the Spurs, you know, even going back to Phil Jackson with the Bulls or even Chuck Daly back with the Bad Boys Pistons, you know, and, and there's other people too, but those are the ones that come to mind, you know, right off the top of my head. Those are people coaches. Those are coaches that that put people first and have great relationships. And so hopefully if you're a coach following me, you see a little bit of that. If you're a business person, uh, you know, you're seeing leadership stuff. So you're not seeing like what food I ate that day. You're not seeing where I traveled. You're not seeing, you know, who my favorite sports teams are. I'm trying to provide, I'm trying to provide some insights that can get you through the day or at least get you to the next hour or get you to the, the afternoon or get you to the evening where maybe you're making some better choices. So, you know, yes, I have books, I have resources, I have websites, but I think the Twitter thing is, is for me something that I take a lot of pride in that the stuff I'm putting out is is definitely stuff that I recommend and it's thoughts that I have. I I don't get into politics. I try not to, I don't, I'm not controversial. I'm just, well, some people will think something's controversial sometimes if they don't agree with it, if they don't, if they don't want to be unselfish or, uh, you know, sometimes I'll have a parent, you know, direct message me or a kid direct message me or something like that and be like, yeah, but my kid's not going to do this because their coach is this or their coach is that. And I'm like, that might be true. You might be a hundred percent right that your coach is this or that, but your kid and you as a parent still have the choice every day, how you're going to react to those situations you don't like in life is a whole lot more about how you react to situations, um, than the situation itself. And, and, you know, we see this all the time. People, people hate one another, people, people disrespect one another. And you know what that to me, says more about you and your character than it does the other person. You know, if, if you say that this person is a mean, mean person or, or, you know, I hate this coach, I hate this coach, they're a terrible coach. Okay, that's great. But what's that telling me about you as well? And so, you know, I try not to be controversial. I try not to, to be negative. Uh, I try to put things out there that's going to help people move forward as a person um, or as an athlete, as a coach, as a business person. You mentioned some big names, some, some significant people who've made major impact like Chuck Daly's, like the Phil Jackson's. If people were having this conversation, maybe down the line, and the name Jamie Beckler was to come to their thoughts, what would you like them to say? And what would you like your legacy to have been? <laughs> Great question. The whole legacy thing, you know, notwithstanding, uh, you, you had a guest on your show that, that knows a little bit about legacy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he wrote a book about legacy and, and with one of the greatest cultures and teams ever. Uh, James Kerr. Yeah. So he knows a little bit something. So uh, definitely your listeners, if they haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that. But, but legacy though, you know, I look at legacy uh, in, in one way is that it's not what people say about you when you're dead and gone. It's what people say about you when they leave the room, what people say about you when they leave the interaction with you. Cause we, we sometimes think of legacy as, well, that's what people say about you when you're dead. But and and this isn't like this isn't like uh, any rocket science or or any studies that I've done. It's just my thoughts is that a lot of times our legacy is every interaction. It's built on every interaction that we have. And so I would love for people every time they see 
me speak, every time they listen to a, a podcast that I was on, every time they jump on social media and see one of my posts, I would like them to say, this is a guy that's trying to make things better. And like Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. He's tr- Instead of being frustrated and mad about negativity, and, and I get like that. I, like I get frustrated when people are negative. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I realize, oh, wait, I'm being negative about negativity. And so I want people to be like, man, this is a guy that's trying to make a difference one person at a time, one interaction at a time, if possible. And you can't do everything, but you can do something. And so I'm trying to do something. You know, my platform's not very big, but there's a few, I have a few, I have a couple fans, you know, my mom and my brother and, and I have like two cousins, you know, they're <laughs> fans of mine. So, you know, if, if, uh, to go, Jamie. <laughs> you know, so, so if the, if the two or three people that follow me and, and are fans of mine, if, if I can speak some positivity in their life, then man, that's awesome. You know, cause like I said, you can't do everything, but you can do something. And so I would love for people to be like, he tried to do what he could do with the platform he had or where he was at in life. Yeah, I love that. And uh, echoes actually what Pete Carroll used to say an awful lot with USC and what he brought into the Seahawks, which was, you know, don't complain. You can kind of control that reaction. And with what we're all going through, it's so easy for us to find the negative comment um, and to amplify it even further. You know, a lot of times, and I know there's a there's a great author, a great leadership guy named John Gordon. He's written a lot of great books and, and he's even written a book, a book um, you know, positive teams, positive athletes. He has positive leadership, positive university. You know, he's all about positivity. And sometimes he'll get criticized about, you know, well, this is just, you know, you bury your head in the sand, you know, don't ever, don't ever see reality. And, and some people have said that about me as well. When I talk about positivity, it's not, you know, when, when you're talking about a Pete Carroll, let's say Pete Carroll gets a bad rap sometimes because people are like, oh, he's just doesn't live in reality or he's always so positive. Well, that kind of stuff rubs off, but it's not positive. Like let's sit in a circle, sing Kumbaya and ignore the world. And everything's great. Everything's great. Everything's great. It's, it's no, you know what? Things are going to be okay because we're going to find solutions. We're going to work to make things better. Like things aren't going to get better just because I have a positive mindset. Things are going to get better because I'm not going to be negative and then allow circumstances to get me down, which then becomes a snowball effect. No, I'm going to, I'm going to have a positive mindset that says I'm going to get off my butt and I'm going to do what I can do to make things better and find solutions, be solution focused as opposed to problem fixated. Jamie, look, you have made us smarter over the, the guts of the hour here. There's no doubt about it. And we're fortunate that we get to do this every week with different people around the world to, to elevate us here. Um, it brings us nicely to the to the last question of our show, Sleepy Performer Pete, which is quite simply, what does high performance mean to you, Jamie? Uh, being the best that you're capable of being. Now, now that's that would be more that would be my answer to if you said what's success. Um, I, obviously, high performance, I, I, it, it does vary. Obviously, and and you guys are the experts at high performance too. I mean, that's what you talk about all the time. But you know, if I work with a high school team, let's say, and I say you can be a high performer, you know, I don't want them to think, well, I'm going to fall short because I'm not LeBron James. No, you can be a high performer in your situation, um, and, and I do think it's situational. You know, if you're talking about high performers in the NBA, 
and and you got a guy that's got all the talent in the world but is underperforming yeah he's a high performer in terms of uh you know 99.999% of the population but in terms of his peers and in, more importantly in terms of his own mirror in terms of his own uh, abilities his own potential, he's not a high performer. So it is relative sometimes. And that's why I like to say, you know, it's, it's essentially achieving what you're capable of achieving, doing what you're capable of doing in your situation. Coach, we'd like to thank you very much for giving us your time. We're both really grateful, learned a lot from you. And when the world changes, hoping you can get yourself over to Ireland here, we'd love to to host you and, and bring you out for some dinner. So thanks very much for your time today. Really enjoyed it. Guys, I really appreciate you having me on. Love your show. Keep up the good work that you're doing. Same. Feelings mutual. Jamie, look after yourself. Stay fit. Stay safe. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen, some wish it would happen, others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.